0: In 1823, a traveler from Connecticut passed through New Jersey and said that we were the land of slavery. Twenty six years later, John S. Rock of Salem, who was a leading black man of his time, noted that New Jersey never really treated blacks equally, as they were an ardent supporter of the peculiar institution of slavery. In 1973, The executive assistant to President Dwight Eisenhower, E. Frederick Morrow, who was a black man that was born in Hackensack in 1909, called his autobiography way down south up north to reflect his time here in the Garden State. And since it's Black History Month, this week's episode is dedicated to learning about the interesting and intriguing history of enslavement here in the Garden State. My name is Leslie Sharon I'm your host and you're listening to Heirloom Historical. Thank you so much, dear listeners, for coming back week after week. And if you would like to get in touch with us, please shoot us an email, drop us a line at heirloomhistorical at gmail.com or check out our website at www.heirloomhistorical.com to see what we are up to. So before we get started about the interesting and intriguing history of enslavement here in New Jersey, which is very complex, and I'm just going to kind of give us a a little bit of an overview. Um, It's important for you to know a little bit about Black History Month and where it came from. So Black History Month started in, officially, 1926. It was the brainchild of Carter G. Woodson, Woodson was the second black graduate of Harvard University after the late, great Webb Du Bois. And he came up with Negro History Week. Each year, it took off, and then we dedicated the month of February towards um, the recognition and appreciation of black Americans. And believe it or not, there is a theme, just like there is for Women's History Month each year. And this month of 2024. It is African Americans in the Arts. So we will be sure to talk more about that in future episodes. But for now, I wanted to give you the background on New Jersey's role in slavery until manumission in 1804. And as we're going to find out, slavery happens after that. So I guess I was intrigued by this paradox of my home state when I went to college. Um, I went to a small liberal arts school back in the day, uh, Ramapo College of New Jersey. And um, it's nestled in the beautiful Ramapo Mountains of Bergen County. As a history nerd student on campus, there were... Upperclassmen that would often talk in some of our history classes before the professor came into the room that there was a slave graveyard near campus, on campus, by campus, and I became fascinated. Rumors had it that peoples from the south came up to Ramapo. They would bring their slaves with them here up north in the summertime to break away from the heat. And um, subsequently, as those slaves died, they buried them separately in a graveyard somewhere located around campus. Now, lo and behold, and I will link this article in the description at the bottom, in 2012, there was an adjunct professor um, that started a campaign. He did locate and find that slave graveyard. They are doing some phenomenal work on the enslaved bodies that were buried there, their connection to the families on campus, um, and things like that, and their uh, Facebook page, Grave Matters. They've done extraordinary work. So yeah, that starts kind of off my fascination with it. It really kind of goes to show that this long history of enslavement here in the Garden State happened way before um, probably any of us knew or grew up learning about high school or even in college. So when New Jersey was acquired by the British, along with New York in 1664, there were already slaves here in the surrounding areas as the Dutch were taking part in the Atlantic slave trade, and they were probably landing bodies here uh, as early as 1627. So pretty early. Um, The Dutch also had land acquisitions in the Indies, which they would have used enslaved bodies for as well. So you can imagine at the time that it was this kind of swirling trading network of bodies going back and forth between the Indies and also here into the New World. And when the Dutch started landing bodies as early as 1627, they stayed. When East Jersey and West Jersey were settled, because those were the first two proprietary colonies before we become New Jersey in 1702... Uh, it appeared as though many planters from the Dutch colonies, as well as the Indies, began to make their way into Bergen and Monmouth counties via the ports of New York. And as they came in, they brought slaves with them that they would use to clear the wilderness and to cultivate their plantations. And then they, they stayed. The first permanent settlement here in Jersey was a part of the modern day cities of Jersey City and Hoboken. And there were ways that those original governments, those permanent settlements here, the proprietary colonies, they enticed enslavement. Bodies would come through, if they were coming into New Jersey, they would come in through two ports. Uh, It would be Perth Amboy, if you were settling in East Jersey, and it would be Camden if you were settling in West Jersey. As a part of the proprietary colony, you were given 60 additional acres of land in 1664 for every slave that you brought that was imported in with you. And this continued. 45 acres were given for each in 1665, 30 acres of land in 1666. And so by 1680, slavery was well established here in New Jersey. Um, Interestingly enough, most people tend to think that it was East Jersey with major cities that would have had enslaved bodies. And yes, that is true. But we also find records of them in West Jersey at the hands of the Quakers who would use them on plantations. And that is something that, you know, growing up, learning about the Quakers' religious tolerance and all of the wonderful things that they did. You would never have assumed that in the early mid to late 1600s, they were using slave labor, but I digress. What ends up happening is by 1676, West Jersey had a charter uh, and they add this provision to the charter that they should be free from slavery. East Jersey's charter did not have anything of the sort, and instead, they ended up passing laws that stated instead that masters must require sufficient food and clothing for their their slaves. And so, one of the first things that we see is New Jersey comes as an up-and-coming colony that we begin to do is we begin to formulate laws that prevent the movement as well as the empowerment of any person that would have been a slave. And this is nothing new. We see this happen and established in other colonies such as Jamestown. Uh, We begin to see laws and codifying black laws where they're delineating based on race. And so here in New Jersey, by 1694, it was illegal for slaves to carry guns, own property, or stay in a home without the owner's consent. By 1695, a separate court was even established to try and punish slaves who had committed felonies or murder. And that was probably because in 1695, we see a case here in Monmouth County, two peoples were hanged, and one slave by the name of, I believe on record, it's called Caesar, he was burned alive for a conspiracy and the murder of Lewis Morris of Passage Point. Morris had killed a slave woman, and he was not punished. And so these three enslaved peoples take it upon themselves to carry out justice. And as a result, all three are killed in the process after um, they are brought to trial. So these early laws really set the stage for enslavement to be entrenched here in New Jersey. Uh, 1704 New Jersey law states that if enslaved people were more than 10 miles from their home, they could be captured, whipped, and turned in for a reward. In 1713, a New Jersey law prohibited formally enslaved Black or Native people from purchasing or owning land. And a 1751 law gave enslaved black people a 9 p.m. curfew and made anybody that was a violator of that punishable by whipping. So as you can see, even on the cusp and eve of the American Revolution in the 1770s, we still here in New Jersey are heavily subjugating and delineating the ways in which slaves are functioning in society. Slaves were... Used in various ways here in Jersey, Monmouth County used them in iron mines. Um, here we had a large, they called it the Iron Plantation. Uh, if you're familiar with the town of Tinton Falls, New Jersey, it was known then as the Tinton Manor Iron Works, and it was an estate that was owned by Lewis Morrison. He brought slaves from Barbados. To Tintin Falls New Jersey to work and it was a very hard physical labor if you visit um the Tintin Manor Tintin Manor say that five times fast <laughs> Tintin Manor Ironworks there are images and signs that do depict and that are trying to justify like yes this really did happen also had other workers um on his manor however White workers were given completely different jobs that were not as hard physical labor as those as those black enslaved bodies were with him. It was one of the largest plantations in New Jersey to exist, and the Morris family lived there. Uh, the Morrison family lived there uh, for a number of years. By 1786, we begin to see after the American Revolution that the state does outlaw the trade of enslaved bodies. And then by 1804, we start the slow process of manumission, where you would eventually be freed. However... Um, statistics show that as many as 400 slaves were still in some form of enslavement after the end of the Civil War. And these next kind of like facts they gripped me when I was doing the research for this podcast as I was going back through my old books um, for graduate school so I do know at the Tintin Manor one of my professors from Monmouth University shout out to Dr. Veit. he did try to find if there was a burial ground there um, but it was really hard to do any type of archaeological digging but old records show that somewhere in Monmouth County, there probably still is this, this graveyard um, to the people that were there that were never freed, right? And on the eve of, and these, these are the facts that I just think are crazy. On the eve of the Civil War between 1852 and 1859, New Jersey State Legislature approved and appropriated $1,000, which is not a small chunk of change annually, to transport freed blacks back to Africa. And we know that this was like a a part of a movement um, that was swirling here around the United States. That's why uh, Liberia and the capital of Monrovia, right? James Monroe, president. But um, New Jersey was a large part of that. So between 1852 and 1859, $7,000 were appropriated to transport peoples back to Africa. And then these two are just, they just kind of seal the the fate of Jersey here. Um, We're the last northern state to end enslavement. And after the Civil War is over, and Abraham Lincoln, right, and uh, subsequently uh, Johnson decide, like, yeah, we're going to have these, you know, amendments, they are going to fix the problem of slavery in America, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, which free slaves, allow them the right to become American citizens, and also the right to vote, easy way to remember them is free men vote, 13, 14, 15, right? So Lincoln, um, you know, Johnson, Grant, right? All of these reconstruction presidents. We ratify the 13th Amendment here in New Jersey in 1866, after we previously rejected it. And we didn't vote for Abraham Lincoln, in either 1860 or in 1864. Um, So just shocking facts here about the Garden State that I think that we tend to assume because we were a northern state that these things didn't happen here, or if they did, they kind of happened in, in this vacuum. So as we celebrate Black History Month, I think it's important to dig a little deeper into the stories, the laws, and the history behind our home regions to see firsthand what exactly happened and to not take your northern status for face value. It was a complicated time with complicated laws and morals. I'll drop a book list link if you'd like to learn more from some of my favorite authors. And next week, we're going to start looking at some of the Black New Jerseyans that were able to overcome and defy the odds of enslavement and discrimination to leave a lasting legacy here in Jersey. So until next time, you're listening to Heirloom Historical. I'm your host, Leslie Sharonbeck. See you soon.